Welcome to Justice Rising, a podcast of the Inner Community Peace and Justice League, where we explore emerging justice work through story and relationship. I'm your host, Cecilia Flores. For this episode, I have a great discussion with Angela Howard McParland, who is the Justice Resource Manager for Sisters of Mercy of the Americas, who are part of Nuns Against Gun Violence, a coalition of Catholic sisters and their allies that affirms the value of human life through prayer, education, and advocacy for common sense, evidence-based gun violence prevention. Angela talks about the sisters' ability to bring a unique perspective to justice issues and how their work on the ground in communities has fueled a passion for advocacy and fighting for structural change. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Justice Rising today. I'm so excited to be joined today by Angela Howard McParland, and I'm going to give her an opportunity to introduce herself. So hi, my name is Angie Howard McParland, and I'm a Justice Resource Manager for the Sisters of Mercy of the Americas. And so with Mercy, we do all kinds of work across justice issues um, on our what we call our critical concerns. And then I'm also one of the co-founders, part of the steering committee for a new coalition of Catholic sisters called Nuns Against Gun Violence. So we'll talk more um, about that work. No, that's super exciting. Now, just to clarify, in case people are wondering, because this is just audio only, are you a sister? I'm not a sister. So many congregations employ lay folks, um, particularly in the justice world, communications world, all of that. So I'm not a sister. Okay, I'm a mom of three. Exactly. So she talks about her kids at all during this podcast, <laughs> just for frame of reference. <laughs> Okay, well, that's great. Now, this episode, we're going to be talking about the work um, going on on the ground around the topic and issue of gun violence. And, um, you know, I guess I like to start with personal questions, um, because I mean, that's a very heavy topic. And it's also something very prominent and unfortunately ongoing, uh, an ongoing issue in our nation. Um, What inspired you um, to get involved in this particular issue? I've been involved with gun violence prevention for a while. I was trying to figure out how long it had been um, by looking back through photos. And I'll tell you, my oldest is 12, and I have pictures of him as an infant at our state house here in Rhode Island, um, you know, wearing the the Moms Demand Action red. So it's been a it's been a while. Um, I'm not personally um, a survivor of gun violence, and no one in my family um, has been directly affected by gun violence, which is how a lot of folks do get involved in this. But I think becoming a parent um, in growing up, you know, with this just generation lockdown, I was a senior in high school when Columbine happened. Mm -hmm. And it was such a rare, unusual, out of the box thing at that time. You know, it was the first time we were starting to see metal detectors in high schools and things. And now it's, you know, once a week, once a month, it's more often, but in the headlines, um, it's all the time and just, needing a, a a voice to say like what what are we doing what what is happening and why is this so commonplace yeah that's just such a it is i rem- i was much younger when columbine happened but i know that it you know it was like that's it seemed just so crazy for lack of a better word you know <laughs> and now it is a lot more common which is a different kind of crazy <laughs> in my opinion so You know, you talked about two different kind of roles that you have within the gun violence prevention world. And I'm wondering, did you want to share? I'm I'm sure there's similarities, but what are kind of the goals um, and objectives of those two different um, areas of work that you're doing? 
Well, I can tell you from the Sisters of Mercy perspective, um, all of Mercy Justice operates around what we call our five critical concerns, um, which you'll hear when I lay them out, they tend to come encompass pretty much everything. But we talk about nonviolence, we talk about women, we talk about racism, earth, and immigration. And so those are the five um, anchors, if you will, for the, the social justice work that we do at Mercy. And so gun violence is one of those issues that really touches every single one of those concerns, right? In terms of nonviolence, obviously not just the firearms themselves, but this culture of violence um, that is really taken hold in this country in particular. With women, we know that domestic violence situations are five times more deadly when firearms are involved, and it's up to 10 times more deadly for Black, Brown, Indigenous women, even more so Latin women. So when women in particular and children are susceptible to gun violence, racism, again, we know Black and Brown communities in particular are affected by gun violence. And earth and immigration, too, there's issues with gun trafficking across borders, with the lack of federal legislation and regulation of firearms. It touches everything. And so when we think about those critical concerns and the different issues that um, we want mercy and mercy advocates to be involved in, gun violence is an obvious one. Yeah, that's just so those are amazing pillars. You're right. They're quite all encompassing, which I mean, I think that really speaks to just the intersectionality of uh, the justice world that really all of those things impact the ability for communities to thrive and some thrive better than others because of the way those issues are playing out within their settings. I have kind of a curiosity now. You know, you're working kind of with religious sisters um, and different, you know, I mean, none. what is it? Nuns against gun violence. I mean, that's like a pretty cool name. What is, um, you know, you're not a sister, but you work with sisters. What is kind of their um, connection point to this work? Because I've heard a few stories of um, personal stories of sisters and where they get involved. And I just I think that it's it's really fascinating, um, you know, how some of those entry points. So maybe you could highlight some of those for us. Well, there's probably as many stories as there are sisters, right? Sisters and associates, we should say, right? Associates, folks who have a connection to the charism of different communities, but aren't vowed members in the same way, but usually particularly are connected around charisms of spirituality and justice, right? So there's probably a million different stories of how congregations and individuals have gotten connected to the world of gun violence or desire to work and advocate for gun violence prevention. But I think there's a unique voice that Catholic sisters offer on this. And it's it's not just the faith-based element or the, the spiritual element, but certainly there is that, that real need for, for faith, people of faith, excuse me, to, to speak out right against this culture. We learned from Shane Claiborne last week at a webinar, and I'll say more about that in a little bit, that Christians own more guns than any other any other faith-based group in this country. And so there really is a need to, to counteract this narrative. But I think Catholic sisters in particular, one, have the, you know, they've proven themselves in terms of experience and the the wide variety of ministries um, and work that they've done, not just in this country, but around the world, right? You have sisters who are running schools, right? And mm -hmm. so again, young people growing up in this particular generation who are most affected, running hospitals, again, where first responders, right? Where are we seeing some of the fallout of the gun violence? The different ministries, again, all over the country that are serving marginalized populations and people made poor who, again, disproportionately effective. And so there's a real moral voice proven by, you know, decades and decades of experience, the wisdom there, and then just the practical element that 
because sisters are engaged in all this kind of work full-time as a vocation, um, there's a willingness and an ability and a passion to, to do the work. So I think it's a, a unique perspective to be able to bring. There's a million different gun violence prevention organizations, and we try to partner with whoever we can, but there's a unique perspective, I think, brought by Catholic sisters. Yeah, definitely. I know when I've shared um, with like friends about kind of like... Um, different articles that I've read about things that uh, nuns against gun violence are doing. They just think it's so fascinating. And um, I wanted to highlight, cause you mentioned the statistic about Christians owning more guns. And that's actually, um, I wanted to ask about challenges um, or problems facing the community. And I think that was actually what I was um, thinking about is oftentimes we'll see in the news, kind of this white evangelical or even Catholic, right? Very, you know, very Christian and very Catholic, but also very possessive and defensive of their right to own weapons. And I don't know if you could just share a little bit about kind of that tension. I imagine you find yourself within uh, with kind of dealing with that tension quite often when you're working in those spaces. Yeah. And I think I'm from the South. Um, so I am based out of Rhode Island now and, and in New England, but I grew up in the South in Kentucky um, and Tennessee and, and the culture around gun ownership, as you said, and around uh, Christianity as well is just very different. Right. And those two things are linked in so many cultures. And so there has to be a way to enter into conversation, to enter into advocacy that can speak to what is undergirding someone's very um, stringent insistence, right, on the right to own a gun. And what we're trying to do, and I think this would be true really across the gun violence prevention world, we're not trying to take away firearms from responsible gun owners, right? Whether whatever we personally believe about gun ownership. That is really not what is at issue here. What we want is an end to gun violence. We want an end. It's a public health crisis. Mm. Um, firearms are the number one killer now, children's and teens in this country, the number one killer. And so we don't want to say to folks, if you're a responsible gun owner, you're safely and properly storing your firearm. You, of course, you have the right to it. But how has the Second Amendment and gun ownership as a culture and as a, a nation gotten so out of control that we're willing to prioritize that right to an individual gun over the lives of, you know, this year alone in 2023, it's over 37,000 people have died. From wow. How are things out of proportion now? And how do we enter into that conversation? We're not coming for your guns, so to speak, but we are trying to say, why Why has it gotten so out of hand? Why does it happen in this country um, and not anywhere else? There are mental health challenges all over the world. Mm. And yet no one, no other countries have the same levels of gun violence and gun death um, that we do in this country. So, so how do we have those conversations reasonably? Mm. And how do we find common ground, right? Whereas what can we agree on? For example, could we agree on background checks? Right. And, and closing loopholes on background checks. Still so often it's gotten better with the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act that was passed last summer. But there's still so many loopholes for gun shows or individual gun sellers. Um, so can we agree on making sure that background checks, for example, are always reliable and always conducted appropriately? Things like red flag laws. So these are laws that prevent those who are under who are subject to domestic violence restraining orders from owning firearms. Mm. Um, right now, that's a current Supreme Court case, right? So we'll see what happens in June. The oral arguments were heard earlier this month. But can we agree on, on that there should be restrictions, for example, there? So trying to find that common ground, I think, is is really important. Yeah. Now, that is just so fascinating because it's um, such necessary 
work, given like what you're mentioning, all the statistics and just the scale. I think there is a very um, general understanding among this, the general public, like it's a problem. <laughs> it's a very big problem. What are, you know, in addition, in you're talking about creating spaces for open dialogue and and things like that. What what are the strategies um, and the tactics and kind of like, what does that lo- work look like for you yeah. all on the ground? Yeah. Well, it concretely looks a few different ways. So the sort of the most basic, um, you know, entry point, I guess, into this advocacy work could be things like action alert emails, right? So Sisters of Mercy, for example, three times a week send action alert emails, and often those are on issues like gun violence. And it's a one-click, tell your senator, Hmm. you know, to get on board with the assault weapons ban, for example. That's a one-click email. So that is a really easy way to, to do your advocacy work, right? So that kind Kind of thing. Or again, every town, uh, all the different organizations will always have the one click. So if you want to do really easy armchair advocacy that is effective because they do tally and count mm-hmm. the number of phone calls, emails that they get on these issues, that's one easy way to do it. That's one concrete, simple way. It can also look like in that same vein of, of legislative advocacy, it can look like meetings with representatives, with senators, whether that's at the state level. Um, we have sisters in now 49 states wow. um, across the country and globally as part of Nuns Against Gun Violence. And so it can look like meeting with state reps. There's a lot of states that either are passing recently. Washington was one of them that passed um, some gun violence prevention laws. Rhode Island, unfortunately, last year missed the boat, um, mm. just using our two states as examples. But we want to be able to empower sisters and allies, not just sisters, again, but folks in um, congregationally owned schools, right? In particular, how can we empower them to meet with their legislators at the state level and at the federal level? Um, because it works. It makes a difference to do that. So I would say the legislative advocacy is one concrete piece. There's also, so our mission statement, I should say, is three-part, right, for Nuns Against Gun Violence. We talk about prayer, we talk about education, and we talk about advocacy. So that's the advocacy piece, one element of it. The prayer piece, again, is part of the unique um, offerings, I think, of faith-based communities in in doing this work, and that just means that we're doing the same work um, in many ways on smaller scales that the major Mm -hmm. gun violence prevention organizations are doing, and now even out of the White House is, is happening with the new creation of that office, but um, we're also doing it like with a gospel-based value, right? Mm. That this matters for this reason, because we believe in the dignity of human life, which is something we hear from Catholic leaders all the time, we're compelled to act in this way. And so what does that, what does that look like? And so back in June um, for National Gun Violence Awareness Day, or what's sometimes known as Wear Orange Weekend through Moms and Hand Action in Every Town, our coalition created um, not only a novena, against gun violence that we have available in English and Spanish on prayer cards folks can can download and use. But we also designed a prayer service vigil that people could use that weekend in particular and then made it evergreen. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, as we know, as the mass shootings continue to happen, um, people need resources. They need abilities to grieve and to pray. So knowing that we are doing that um, constantly, but also putting the resources out there is our prayer piece. And then the education piece uh, would be things like our webinar, right, that we had mm-hmm. last week, last Wednesday with, with Shane Claiborne, and then with two sisters offering some examples of what their communities are doing. It's things, little things, again, like social media, like, can we share statistics? Can we make that connection um, between, you know, suicide prevention, for example, which a lot of communities do work on, and gun violence? And again, how much deadlier 
Um, it can be when there's access to firearms. Can we make those connections again to schools and it being the number one killer of children and teens? How can we educate and continue to educate? And so those are some of the different ways um, concretely that it can look on the ground. Wow. There's, I mean, sisters, you said in 49 different states and throughout the world. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, it's we amazing. We just got Idaho yesterday. Oh, wow. So What's the last today? one, if I may ask? North Dakota. North, yeah, Dakota. North Dakota. Okay. If anyone listening we'll is in North Dakota, <laughs> we've got one state left here uh, to find some funds to join this coalition. But that's just so amazing because I think it just speaks volumes, right? Sometimes we imagine you know, it's going to have to be a big, grand, one-time kind of, you know, which those are great also, right? The public witnesses and public actions are definitely necessary. But um, this, what you're speaking to, kind of like this on the ground, all over, right? You you do these little things consistently um, and build relationships, I think, is, is so important. I'm wondering if there's any, you know, you mentioned something, bills being passed in certain places, but are there any achievements or maybe milestones related to this issue that you want to highlight? I think, so last summer, um, in summer of 2022, was when Congress passed the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act that I mentioned earlier. And this was the first meaningful gun safety legislation passed in Congress in over 30 years. Mm. And so you think about the number of mass shootings that have happened and how commonplace they have become over the last decade, really. And it took this long um, to get anything meaningful. And it's a good package of bills. It expanded background checks. It, again, um, gave some more federal funding for things like uh, community violence intervention. That's on the mm. ground grassroots groups doing violence prevention for things like red flag laws, as I mentioned before. It did some good things, but it still didn't do enough. You know, we still have an assault weapons ban that has just been sitting in Congress, um, mm -hmm. not acted on, not brought to the floor for a vote. The House did pass it last year, but it couldn't get voted on in the Senate. So that has been sitting legislation for safer storage, right? These are basics, like mm -hmm. if you're going to own a firearm, store it so that children can't access it, um, for example, that also just sit. And so there has been some good work. And again, there are states, Washington in particular, um, was a big one last year that are passing this legislation. And the fact that it's even coming up in state houses all over. So we can't get for example, that federal assault weapons ban passed, but there are numerous states. I believe Washington was the 10th state okay. um, to pass an assault weapons ban. So it's happening on local levels, on grassroots levels, even things like school boards, right? Passing mm. um, resolutions about guns in schools. So on those hyper-local levels, it is happening. And as you said, more and more people are aware of it. The studies show that somewhere from 75 to 90% Americans want an assault weapons ban, for example. And so public opinion is there, but getting um, federal legislators on board has been tricky. I will say one one recent, I don't want to call it a success story because what, what led to it is so unbelievably tragic. But mm -hmm. with the, the Lewiston shooting in Maine, most recently, some yeah. of Maine's, both of Maine's senators, Senator Collins and Senator King, have not signed on as co-sponsors, for example, to the assault weapons ban. They're some of the only senators. Senator King is an independent um, so he's one of the only independents now not signed on and Democrats. And so they have not um, changed their stance. But Representative Jared Golden in the House of Representatives for Maine had also not been a co-sponsor. And after the shooting, he came out and not only did he sign on as a co-sponsor to the assault weapons ban, which is a really big deal. He publicly apologized yeah. to the people of Maine and said, mm -hmm. I am so sorry that it took me seeing one of these tragedies close to home 
to change my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he owned that and he acknowledged what happened and then he did change his mind. Um, so it does happen, but we have to just keep putting the pressure on. Yeah. That's, I, I remember watching that press conference and was, I was part, I mean, you know, it's one of those situations where you're really glad they've changed their mind, but it's like you said, like, is that what it's going to take everywhere to kind of spur a change of heart in the political will, right? Of our politicians that inevitably will be the ones voting on these issues. Um, you mentioned how, you know, um, how you vision the role of um, your organizations within kind of the grander scheme of, of gun violence prevention. What are some of the ways that y'all are collaborating um, with other organizations or groups? Because I imagine there's just so much work to do. Collaboration is, <laughs> is essential. What does that look like for you all? I would say two things. So the the real genesis of Nuns Against Gun Violence came out of the desire to collaborate. Um, So speaking only from Mercy's perspective, you know, we put out these action alerts or like so many other folks will issue a statement after a mass shooting, we'll reach out to, to folks on the ground in that area. But it felt like all kinds of other communities and congregations are doing that. And so how much more powerful can our collective voice be? Again, if we can speak as one voice, again, as Catholic sisters. And so individual communities are doing so much work. They're showing up at state houses, they're supporting survivors, they're holding um, vigils and protests. But now we also have that ability on this issue of gun violence to speak as a whole with Catholic sisters. We have nearly 60 congregations on board and that, like I said, represents 49 states and abroad, about 30,000 people. Um, when you think about the congregation, wow. sisters, associates, allies, you know, our Facebook group is like 1700 people reading um, articles and sharing events and learning more and joining joining this fight. But I think it really was born out of a, a wondering and a curiosity and a hope about how much more influence can we possibly have to harness this moral authority of Catholic sisters if we can also speak with one voice. And so that in the spirit of collaboration, right, Mm. we created this, this particular coalition. And then in addition to, to the congregations that are all working together um, within Nuns Against Gun Violence, again, there's so many groups doing this work that have been doing it forever and ever and ever. People like Everytown USA and Moms Demand Action connected to them, Giffords and Brady, there's just, there's a million and they're all doing it and doing it well. And so our desire is not to reinvent the wheel, is not to duplicate resources. Um, and again, so much of the power in the gun violence prevention movement is youth led, mm-hmm. you know, Generation Z that is yeah. fed up. And so we don't feel the need to, to sort of start our own thing, but we want to be that leaven in the dough. Is mm-hmm. there a way that we can then um, support the movement? Is there a way that we can, again, add this particular voice and this particular perspective? Can we with the wide reach of Catholic sisters in our schools and ministries, um, can we spread the news? Can we spread educational resources that are created? Can we offer prayer? Can we support survivors? All of these things. And so it's that spirit of collaboration that I think really drives all of it. And again, our desire to not, we don't need to be the first or the original to do it. We just want to play whatever role um, we're called to in that movement. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think, you know, I like that you mentioned how involved youth are in in this movement, particularly it's exactly what you're saying. I mean, I have children in elementary school that have had to do um, the drills and 
you know, they came home talking about it because it was, I mean, the fact that a child would have to have that type of drill, like I grew up in California, we're still in California, we had earthquake drills, that was about it, you know, and the fire drill, the mandatory fire drill, (laughs) right? And like the fact that our children are going through this now, and I, I wonder, I'd love to hear kind of some of maybe your insight into the experiences of um, how do youth react to seeing nuns <laughs> in that realm? Because I think there's kind of this common, um, you know, narrative out there that youth are disassociating from faith, right? Not just Catholicism, but faith in general. Yeah. And be partially, I think, motivated because they see justice issues such as gun violence prevention not being moved or not being talked about in their faith circles you know and but then you've got nuns <laughs> against you know gun violence also showing up you know to the process or talking about these issues how have you seen that dynamic play out in your work yeah i think we see that on a lot of justice issues not just on yeah gun Right. There's that old adage that um, Catholic social teaching is the best kept secret of Catholicism because people don't know it. But I think the justice work of Catholic sisters is also sort of a publicly um, kept secret in a way that if folks knew, particularly people who might be disenchanted um, with the Catholic Church, if they knew the, the work and the reach and the passion of Catholic sisters and these issues would just be blown away. Um, when I tell people what I do for a living and that I, you know, do legislative advocacy on social justice issues and I do it on behalf of a group of Catholic sisters, um, there's always a look of surprise and some need for some additional information. But um, there was a youth sit-in in D.C. in June for seven days. They were, you know, camped out outside of Congress, again, calling for the, the assault weapons ban. And I know one of our sisters, a Franciscan sister, who's based in D.C., went over to visit with them and, and show support and tell them about, you know, Nuns Against gun violence and whatnot, and that they were very surprised and excited to to hear about that movement. But, you know, a lot of our sisters, too, um, can't necessarily be out physically um, in public at protests or can't necessarily, um, you know, show up in ways that they certainly are used to and, and want to continue to do. And so a big part of the movement is, again, harnessing allies and folks um, aligned with the same vision to do this work, right, on behalf of sisters and congregations. And in the spirit of that charism, I mean, in the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount, in the spirit of mercy and, and whatever else it might be, and that's why I think schools and, and ministries are so important in particular. Oh, that is just... And reminding people too, I should also say yeah. quickly that, you know, in this, how polarized our country is right now, and particularly sometimes yeah. along religious lines, there's these threads of white Christian nationalism. Yeah. Um, again, this is what it looks like is that, you know, the quote unquote real Americans, if you will, are white Christian gun owners, right? And so there's a real need, again, for faith-based voices to counteract that narrative and say, no, we value you know, the diversity of our communities. We value nonviolence um, as an American value yeah. and and to show up and, and to speak that truth. Wow. That's amazing. It's gonna, it's exciting to kind of hear about all the different ways um, that y'all are involved, you know, in public ways and also kind of the little things and the behind the closed doors that people don't necessarily see every moment in the headlines or, you know, on TV. I'm wondering, you know, um, Maybe just to wrap up, what are some of the way, you know, what's the big dream for mm-hmm. you all? I think, you know, everybody kind of has a vision for, you know, of course, like a world without gun violence. But for you all that are like in this work every day, you know, we like to kind of look at what what do you feel like is um, one, the big dream, but also what is kind of very tangible or that you feel like 
if we can get just a bigger push behind this issue, we might be able to get, you know, meet, re, meet, meet this benchmark, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think I would say one one benefit of having work spread over so many different um, areas is that there are those little successes, right? And again, these aren't successes that that I have done in particular, or that any one congregation or any one individual has done. But I'm thinking about, for example, a million different congregations that come together for corporate responsibility and investing and harnessing the financial resources mm-hmm. of congregations to pressure gun manufacturers. You know, you have sisters that have been working on corporate responsibility around gun shares for decades and have had big wins about some of the things and some of the responsibilities now that that gun manufacturers have to take. And so that is a behind the scenes work that is constantly ongoing. And there are little wins here and there that that folks would never know, one, Mm -hmm. necessarily that it happened, but two, that there were, again, Catholic sisters involved um, in making that happen. So that's, that's one place where I think there has been some success over the years. I think I don't know what what the dream would be, right? I mean, it would obviously be, like you said, not just less gun violence um, and less normalization of these active shooter drills and and school shootings and whatnot. But I think it's we want nothing less than a a culture change. Mm. Again, we want nonviolence and the beloved community as as values, as opposed to, you know, the individual rights um, of gun ownership, for example, for me and mine. We want the, the good of the community and the good, particularly of folks who continue to be marginalized mm. uh, to take center stage, right? And that, that's some of it. But on a, on a concrete, very practical level, it would be, it's about time to pass an assault weapons ban. Mm. So that would be um, number one. There we go. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm sure you've piqued the interest of many because I know, per, at least on the personal level, lots of people probably much, pretty much everyone I know is concerned <laughs> very much about this issue. Where can people find you? Where What is the, the easiest ways to get connected to some, you know, find an entry point to get involved in this work? Yeah, we can have the the links um, for the our Nuns Against Gun Violence um, contact info on it's on the Sisters of Mercy website. It's okay. Nuns Against Gun Violence at Gmail. It's easy to remember. And we can also drop the link for um, to sign up for the Mercy Action Alerts. Again, those are one click three times a week on different issues, not just gun violence as a way, you know, you're busy with family and whatnot. It's a, an easy way to get involved. And I would just encourage folks to, to in their local communities, find those gun violence prevention organizations. They're all on the ground, um, all kinds of grassroots. Yes, there's the big names, but there's also often um, state-run organizations or really even neighborhood violence mm-hmm. prevention organizations. And to, to find those folks doing that work and, and just show up. Right. You don't have to know what you're talking about. You can show up to testify, um, show up to support when those bills are being heard in your legislature. Um, get on the email list. Right. Just start to educate yourself and and know again at that local level um, what's going on and, and who the movers are um, so you can support them. Well, thank you so much, Angie, for just sharing everything you've shared with us and, you know, for the work that you're doing that is just so, you know, ever increasingly important. And hopefully, you know, the next time we check in, we'll be talking about some of the wins that have come (laughs) through this work. I sure hope so. The Inner Community Peace and Justice Center is sponsored by 24 Catholic religious congregations. Grounded in the charisms of our sponsoring congregations and Catholic social teaching, we build community to act for systemic change in our church and world. Thank you for joining us for this episode. 
Any notes or references from the interview can be found on our website at ipjc.org slash justice rising. You can follow IPJC's work on Instagram at IPJC Seattle. If you like this episode, please consider donating to support our work at IPJC.org, as well as hitting the subscribe button to follow along wherever you get your podcasts.